Talk Show. Recorded live. Recorded live uh, and almost live, I am uh, somewhere in the wilds of upstate New York uh, with a satellite connection to you because, you know, we're, it's back to the future day, so we're, we're connected with technology. I am your host, Brad Shadabend. This is the SteelerFury.com podcast. And uh, back after an exciting, I always say that, I'm going to talk to you after an exciting Steelers win. I think we had a pretty on Sunday. Uh, with me to talk about it, as usual, is the host of the Steelers Postgram Report uh, called The Fifth Quarter. His name is Steel Perch. He's with us from somewhere in the South Hills in Washington County, though. His name is Steel Perch. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, guys. All right. Well, your uh, where do you fall? Let's just start with this. Where where do you fall on the? Uh, it took. Why did it take so long to get from Michael Vick to Landry Jones? And were you as shocked as I was when Landry Jones came in the game and actually looked like an NFL quarterback? Um. Well, I mean, you know, the, the shelf life of Michael Vick was was probably the thing. Is it was going to take an injury to him for for Tomlin and the guys to pull him out. So, so they put a lot of invested a lot of time and in work into the guy in the past few weeks and kind of tailored the game plan and the offense to what he's good at. So I don't think they were very interested in pulling him out of the game for, for performance. So it was uh, you, you got to thank that hamstring. And you know, I don't think there's anybody who's been a bigger skeptic of Landry Jones than me. Um, and I, I, I mean, I go back to his junior year when he was projected as the top, you know, future number one overall draft pick, and I was railed on this guy has no accuracy, he's just his pants in the pocket, he doesn't, he doesn't deal well with pressure. I'm like, I wouldn't take the guy in the top three rounds. And so, you know, I've never been a big fan of his. So, seeing what he did, I think the the biggest thing that helped him was he didn't have to think. Right, you know, he he didn't prepare the entire week thinking he was going to start. It was just a thing where he was thrown into a situation, did nothing but go in and react, and he was loose and played well, which is, brings me to my concern for this week, you know, being the man for a week and, and having to prepare all week, thinking that he's going to be the guy that has to carry the team. What the heck's he going to be like? So I've got some concerns on what we're going to see out of him this week. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to see him, Perch. I mean, if we do, we might be late in this game. I, I think, you know, watching the video from today and just hearing – what everybody's had to say about this, the coach, the quarterback, uh, and the press who are covering it, it, it just looks like, barring some sort of a setback in the next couple of days, that Ben Roethlisberger is going to play on Sunday. I know last week I, I thought there was a chance, a pretty good chance that he'd play and that he'd be able to play. They chose not to play him. He didn't, you know, although he looked like he could throw, he didn't look like he could move so comfortably. But this week he, he seems to be, uh, you know, not – all that different. He's got a little hitch in his giddy up, but not nothing like uh, even a week ago. So you think you think you still you still hanging on? We're going to see Landry. Yeah, I'll definitely go the other way on that. I think that uh, you know Ben was still a limited practice participant today. Unless he's taking the majority of the reps tomorrow, I think they're going to be cautious with him. I think that they're concerned, you know, not with him playing through pain or not through him being able to play, but just protecting himself. You know, what happens when? he's got to move laterally or what happens if he takes a hit on that knee. And he's, you know, way too valuable of a commodity to, to risk rushing back a week early, especially when you want to the last three. Now, if they had a losing record at this point and their season was on the line, maybe they hurry him back, but I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, it just feels to me like last week was the week would have been, he could have potentially played, he probably would have played better last week than he did in San Francisco uh, a couple of years ago when he had that ankle injury. In other words, I, I think he was healthier last week than he was then, and they sat him out of caution. I'm not sure that this week, you know, for a two- to four-week injury, this is this will be four weeks. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of leaning the other way. I kind of feel like because if he, you know, I, I think Tomlin, more or less true to his word, if Ben looks like he can play and move and not be a, unable to protect himself, I think he'll play. That's just that's your you and I differ. Is that you're you feel like he's not going to be able to protect himself, and I feel like having seen him, it feels like he can. Um, but I I don't know how you ever predict what it's like for him to get hit. I mean, you know, well, you're just not going to know that until he gets hit. There's there's two phrases that are be thrown being thrown around still. One is knee brace, the other is play through pain. 
you know, if those two things are still factors and still into play, I just think they're cautious with it. Like Ryan Shazier, you know, and Jarvis Jones, they probably could have played last week too. I think they're uh, dialing things back a little bit, trying to protect guys from compounding these injuries and, and looking at the big picture saying, hey, we're not a real deep team. We're going to need our best players healthy by the end of the year. And especially with Ben, he's not – they made mistakes, mistakes in the past rushing him back. You know, the year after the appendectomy and the motorcycle crash, they just threw him back out there, and he wasn't right the whole season. And the San Francisco game you mentioned when he can barely move and had no business being in that game. He's in his 30s now. I think they're going to do everything they can to put him in bubble wrap. So they may even have to protect him from himself from getting out there this week. But to me, I think it's Landry Jones one more week. Yeah, I mean, the idea of Landry Jones starting, the problem I have with this is if you're not going to – if, if you don't, if you're saying Ben's not healthy enough to to start, essentially you're saying he's not healthy enough to play. If he's not healthy enough to play, Michael Vick doesn't sound like he's playing. That means you have Landry Jones and Tyler Murphy or someone off the street. Is, does this not concern you? I mean, there's a reason to play Ben. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a reason to do it, but uh, <laughs> it, it, like I said, it's it's more about protecting the guy from himself than it is, you know one game this week. And I think, you know, maybe we see Ben as a backup. You know, they go and they they prepare Landry Jones all week with the thought that he goes in and plays this game in an emergency. Ben's good enough to go in as a backup, you know, with Michael Vick out instead of Tyler Murphy. So I think maybe that's what we'll see this week. Yeah, I mean, that that actually, you know, has at least a hint of realism. I just, you know, I mean, the other factor is that, Ben has uh, his history of not being super sharp his first game back. What you're saying is if he doesn't play against Kansas City, then you play for the first time against Cincinnati in a game that's, you know, going to more or less define a big course of their season. So that's why I say I'm concerned a little bit about that. But, but let's go back and talk about Landry Jones in this game. I mean, it definitely helps when you come in cold and not knowing what you're, you know, not knowing what you're doing necessarily, but you have a guy like Martavis Bryant to go up and grab the ball that he did for the touchdown. How about that touchdown catch? That hasn't been discussed enough this week with all the discussion about should Tomlin have played Landry Jones sooner and all that stuff. How about the, the first touchdown by Martavis Bryant, which may have been eclipsed by his second touchdown, but still uh, a tremendous catch. Yeah, the uh, falling on the back butt cheek catch was uh, yeah, just the elevation and the pass. I mean, it was a great pass, too. I mean, it was right, right where it had to be, and he was able to elevate, get the foot down, and, and land in, in bounds. And, you know, the second one I thought was more impressive was just the quick five yards. You know, wearing that number 10, it looked like a supersized Antonio Holmes running through a defense. You know, it was the sort of thing we were used to seeing him, a little shifty guy make. And you've got a six foot four, 220-pound guy that can move like that. And, it, and there was a couple of funny shots in there where you saw six guys completely surrounding him with Cardinals jerseys. You know, thinking, how in the world did he score on that? Just, you know, a couple of moves and – an extra gear, and he was able to just do things that very few players could have made that play. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly helps to have him back. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, makes anyone's job easier. But uh, I thought that on the touchdown pass, the first one, that Landry Jones was impressed me. I, I You know, that was the first sign that, that he was kind of surprised because he was about to get hit when he let go of that ball, too. He hung in there under pressure. He didn't have happy feet, and he, he made a good throw, as you said. may put it kind of where he had to, but uh, that's his, sort of his M.O., if, he, if you could say he had one, was since his junior year in college, when he was about to get hit, he, he made all kinds of poor decisions with football and poor throws. So it seemed like at least for one, you know, a third of a football game, that he seems to be over that a little bit. I didn't, didn't really see much of that. Maybe the throw that uh, kind of went between Antonio Brown and Heath Miller and to, went to no one, that might be one example of a throw where he, he got a little happy feet with it. But I was I was really impressed about how well he played compared to any other time I've seen him play. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that was my knock on him. And that uh, 88-yard touchdown pass, go back and watch. He got kneecapped with almost the same hit that Ben took that put Ben out for the last month. The guy, you know, dove right into his knees, and he drew a 15-yard pen- roughing pen. Of course, Landry Jones is uh, going to get that penalty, but Ben won't. But, <laughs> you know, it was uh, he hung in there. That guy was diving right at his knees, and he you know, put the ball right where he needed to. 
that was the big knock on him. And it, you know, it's not just been him through training camp this year. It's been his entire NFL and college career is he's a guy that if you get a little pressure on him, he's going to get happy feet and not hang in there and be willing to take a hit and deliver a good pass. So it was, you know, an out of body experience for the guy, which makes me skeptical that he can be able to do it again. And we'll see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'll say this since 2004, the two most impressive throws that I think I've seen in a Steelers game that did not come from the right arm of Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I'll make it the best three throws. One is uh, Antoine Randall in the Super Bowl uh, to Heinz Ward. Number two, I think, would be that Landry Jones back shoulder throw, uh, which was like other than Ben, nobody's done that for this team for a long time. And uh, strangely enough, the third best throw I think I've seen was Michael Vick's first deep ball against Green Bay in the preseason to uh, Mark Davis Bryant. It's been all downhill from there for Vick. Uh, but I was really, you know, that's my long-winded way of saying that uh, in addition to, you know, demonstrating the ability to stand in the pocket and making a nice throw for the touchdown, uh, I felt like that was, you know, you see a guy make that, not only a back shoulder throw, Coming, coming up cold off the bench, but to make it with such accuracy and timing, uh, that's, you know, that, I don't know. I've been not sure. You just feel like the guy's feeling it at that point. Um, and so it does rise to your your next thought, which is can he possibly maintain this for, for another week where he has to come and be the man? Uh, yeah, I'm scared. Anyway, that's what you just I didn't said. catch what your qualifications were um, on your best throws, but uh, the Ben throw – uh, at the buzzer to Mike Wallace against Green Bay a few years ago with a toe tap. That was uh, probably the best throw I've seen in a number of years. Oh, I said that uh, other than from Ben's right arm, okay. the best throws that I've seen. Uh, yeah. so clearly one of them, though. It was terrific. Um, so otherwise in this game, aside from the whole Michael Vick, Landry Jones business, um, how about you know, the, the defensive progress? Which if somebody had told you, at the beginning of the season that this defense would at least, if not statistically in terms of the yards, but in terms of scoring defense, if they would uh, be off to this kind of a start, you would never have believed it, would you? I'd be passing on a drug test, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> nobody, and we, we talked about this a bit, that we all, you know, there was very, and I wrote it in my column this week, that there was very few things that we come to a consensus on, you know, as Steeler fans and, and members of our board. And the one that was an absolute consensus consensus was that this defense was going to be a liability no matter what. And uh, so far, we're all looking pretty bad on that one, you know. And the other was Landry Jones' garbage. And <laughs> through, uh, through two quarters, we're, we're wrong on that one, too. <laughs> well, at least Antonio Blake is still – like a street free agent. <laughs> it could be worse. Um, uh, the, what, what do you think is responsible for that? I mean, that the, the defense is, is that much better than we thought they were going to be. Cause it's not like, it's not like Cam Hayward into it are necessarily shocking the world. They, they've shown that they were pretty good before. Is it, is it Mike Mitchell playing better? Is it the coaching scheme? Is it the combination of cornerbacks they have that are just a little bit better? What, what, what do you think it is? Oh, absolutely. It's, I mean, first and foremost, it's coaching and scheme. you got to give, you know, uh, Butler and, and Tomlin, you know, 90% of the credit for this. You know, um, just the things that they're doing to manufacture pressure. And, you know, they don't have a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of really good ball hawks on that defense. They're going to go out and create turnovers. Uh, so they're manufacturing, but they don't have a lot of guys who are going to beat one-on-one blocks and create sacks. So what they're doing is manufacturing it. They're, you know, coming up with innovative uh, zone blitzes and, you know, sending more than the other team can block. And just uh, that seems to be, you know, working wonders that if you look at <clears throat> where they were in the past few years on creating turnovers and getting sacks, it's just uh, a whole different team this year. Yeah, well, I mean, I can't uh... – you know, I just can't compliment them enough. I mean, do you think it's sustainable? Because to me, I would say every aspect of it is sustainable except, you know, the safety situation is 
playing Robert Golden is kind of a miracle that it's working. Maybe it hasn't been, you know, tested to the limits yet. And then the other thing would be, I think it's only a matter of time before Antoine Blake becomes such a liability that they'll be forced to do something. I guess this week he's in a cast. I haven't heard anything about his injury other than his wrist is in a cast. Have you heard any more about his injury? Not at all. Just other than he was practicing. I think they said he had a broken thumb. So I think that the the cast was, uh, you know, around the wrist up to the thumb just to stabilize it. So I'm sure he'll be able to play with that. Um, Yeah, it just... You talk about the defense, though, and is it sustainable? I think it is up to a point of where you hit an elite quarterback. When you see, you know, uh, Tom Brady, he's going to be able to diagnose a lot of what they're doing and make checks out of it and burn it. And we've dealt with that from him for years. Or a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who's just so deadly accurate and quick with his release. But the good thing is, those guys really aren't on the roster the rest of the year. You're playing Flacco's and Andy Dalton's and. Uh, Alex Smith's and guys like that the rest of the year. So uh, up until, you know, a deep playoff game, uh, you know, and Peyton Manning is not Peyton Manning anymore. So up until a deep playoff game, I think they can sustain what they're doing. Interesting. I mean, I don't know. Let's talk about the Bengals for just a second because, you know, they they continue to play well. And I know their MO is the early part of the season. They always look like this. And we always think, you know, going to be damn near impossible to beat them. And then by the time the year is over, you look, you look back at them and you're like, they've, you know, come back to earth. And then by the time they get to the playoffs or, or, or finished or kaput, um, you know, it, it, to me, I watch them. It looks I, it's very hard for me to say this, but it, it looks like Andy Dalton, not that he's become elite, but he seems to be quite a bit better than he was a year ago, two years ago. Is this just an illusion? He hasn't had his confidence knocked yet? Yeah, but for whatever reason, the Steelers seem to be his kryptonite. You know, he, he's done it in years past where he's played teams outside of the division and, you know, gone out and looked really good. And he's got such a good offense, great offensive line, good running backs, stable receivers, good tight ends. You know, it's just a matter of him getting the ball out and staying clean. But if you can confuse him and get some pressure on him, he is one of those guys that will go south real quick. And uh, so it's, you know, it's really going to come down to, you know, out-scheming them and being able to beat their offensive line, you know, jam their receivers, whatever it takes to, to get time to get after him. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and I know, I mean, I'm calling into the, you know, I'm, I'm essentially making this Kansas City in the trap game because, I'm, I'm looking at Cincinnati, and undoubtedly they are as well. At least a little bit have to be, but you can't help but be impressed with how they played thus far. Uh, and I'm not just not saying that they are by any stretch unbeatable, uh, but I definitely feel like you know you you can't necessarily count on them to have the weak links that they that they've all often had facing the Steelers, just because you know they. I don't know, every challenge they've had this year, they kind of, they could, without it being too much of a, you know, they ever, I guess the, I guess the one downside is they haven't really had like a super close call, maybe, you know, aside from the big comeback. Sure they they I mean, uh, Seattle Gattles. had them dead. You know, Seattle had them down, what was it, like 17 points or something. Baltimore had them, you know, on the ropes, and Baltimore's not any damn good. Um, the other thing is the Bengals are still the healthiest team in the league. They've got practically nobody out. You know, that's not going to last the entire season. When they start losing a couple pieces, we'll see you know, what they what they turn into down the stretch. I mean, even the Chargers, who the Steelers beat with a backup quarterback they found off the street, you know, the Bengals just squeak, you know, squeaked out that win, too. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I uh, don't want to give them too much credit, but, you know, they're being, they're, they win all the games. They won, they've beaten everybody who's currently <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it can't be, can't be too much worse. Um Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this week's matchup with Kansas City. Uh, it's, at this point, you know, we think of Kansas City. To me, I think of the Steelers playing Kansas City. In my mind, it's a night game, and it's uh, a hostile crowd for real, uh, or it's bad conditions, bad weather. There always seems to be something in this rivalry that uh, you know yields less than ideal conditions for the Steelers to play, and they've had a lot of reasons. And it didn't all come together. Um, 
This this doesn't quite have the same luster. Alex Smith is a little bit dinged up and has not had a very good season. Um, also, uh, is it Tom Bahali that's that's injured and may not play? Lost yeah, track. Macklin's got a concussion. He's uh, questionable. Yeah, Charles and, and Macklin were the, the only real two, you know, big time threats. I'll tell you, maybe Travis Kelsey, but th- that was it on that offense. And you know, Alex Smith, you know, was afraid to throw the ball beyond the line of scrimmage on third down. So you you, you know, that, that offense is not too scary, and their offensive line's even a little bit beat up too. So. Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you that defense. Now, uh, in, I'm a big, you know, we're both big Marcus Peters fans, and he's been playing really well. And Sean Smith's a, a long guy who's got some talent, and you know, Justin Houston's one of the top two or three pass rushers in the whole league. So they they've got some scary guys on defense, but that offense is nothing. Yeah, I guess the other thing is that their defense, you know, hasn't. It doesn't seem to me to be as quite as good as it has been in recent years. They've had a you know fairly uh, you know, pretty stout and in some cases kind of almost scary good defense for a little while there. But the, this year has not really seemed to be uh, like the, they seem to be less than the sum of their parts. Do you have any sense of what's going on with them? Why they have not played uh, better on defense? Now, unfortunately, I haven't watched too many of their games live. You know, they've been losing. You know, last couple of weeks it wasn't their defense. You know, they held Chicago and Minnesota to you know a couple of scores. They just couldn't move the ball and couldn't couldn't score on them, you know. Then Cincinnati, Cincinnati, and Green Bay both were able to move move the ball and and score on them pretty well. And I think there were some turnovers in that Denver game that uh, Denver was able to add some points to the up up on them. But uh, yeah, just you know, I think a lot of it comes back to their offense. The offense isn't moving the ball and possessing the ball and scoring points the way that they they need to, to unleash their pass pass rush. And it's just. Uh, you know, it's kind of multiplying where, you know, one side of the ball is not doing its job and the other side gets beat up because of it. Yeah, I mean, you're – it's kind of like they, you know, they're built to play from ahead like a like a Peyton Manning. If Peyton Manning were the quarterback of the Chiefs, they'd, uh, they'd be better, you know, just because they, yeah. they're built for that sort of, you know, get a couple of easy scores or Tom Brady, you know, get a couple of easy scores and then let that pass rush – uh, I mean, if, if you, if you uh, look at what they've done this year, Jeremy Macklin and Jamal Charles make up something ridiculous like 75% of their yards from scrimmage. And they're both going to be out this week, potentially with Macklin. But uh, that leaves a, a big gaping hole. I mean, all they've got is Travis Kelsey. And, you know, Chris Conn, I mean, a bunch of nobodies at receiver. They just they have nothing left after that, you know. Unless DeAnthony Thomas goes off and returns a couple for touchdowns, so that they just don't have a way for that team to score or unless they score defensively. Yeah, so that being the case, uh, you know, I mean, to me, the, my concern is if if you're right and it's Landry Jones and not Ben, and I, you know, I'm so I'm sticking with my guns. I still, um, if I had to put money on it today, I would bet that Ben is going to play in this game. But you know, if if it's Landry Jones or an injured Ben, either way, if you, it kind of feels like the one thing you don't want to let happen in this game is to is to let Kansas City's pass rushers. Uh, just start teeing off on you. Just, just kind of have the sense of a game where the Steelers are going to try to make it more on offense. Yes. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. But I mean, the the really good thing about this Steelers team is they've got so much balance where they can go and run the ball, even though you know that run's coming. They're good enough to still run it anyway. So, thing you know, with Le'Veon Bell and as well as the offensive lines played up to this point, uh, and D'Angelo Williams and and it, they can build a game plan that's conservative that protects Landry Jones. How about this? That you know the quarterbacks are down to their literally third and fourth string quarterback is who who they've played the last couple of weeks. When you factor in the Gradkowski injury, they haven't turned the ball over. I mean these guys aren't getting sacked, fumbled. They're not you know throwing bad picks. Although Mike Vick's thrown three or four that probably should have been picked off. You know he, he did he was, did his best to do that. He, he did it. Yeah, well that left as that, many interceptions as possible. He tried. You know, spin from the left-handed pass that so makes it harder to intercept, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, just uh, to be number one overall in the league right now in turnover margin after being down near the bottom for years and penalties, penalties and turnovers have completely flipped. And that's why this team, with probably less talent than they've had in recent years due to injuries, is performing better. And it's just, you know, uh, 
the Juju's finally caught up with us. You know, when, instead of outplaying teams for the entire stretch of the game and losing because we couldn't score in the red zone or we had a bad turnover or too many penalties, the opposite's happening now. So uh, it's t- tough to explain, but that's what's going on. Well, how is that possible? Because they have the worst head coach in the league, I heard. No, nah, he's like eighth worst. <laughs> he's the that's where you're supposed to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I don't know anybody who's called him the, the worst, but he's, hey, you know, I've given him all the credit in the world these past couple of weeks. This is probably the first time in his career where he's consistently winning games when he's had a weaker roster, you know, when you factor the Ben's out and some of the other guys that are out. And through a lot of his, his career, the knock on him is where he's gone out and had the better roster on paper going into a game and lost to teams he shouldn't have lost to. Uh it's bizarre world this year. I can't explain it, but you know he's still making those stupid decisions with the two point conversions. I, you know, he needs to consult a, a chart for that stuff because he's gonna he's gonna lose a game eventually. And I thought it was gonna happen last week, but uh, eventually it'll come back and bite him. Yeah, I don't know. I th- I feel like if you if you make fifty percent, not even considering taking into consideration better on two point conversions, but if you make fifty percent. It, it probably works out better for you in the long run to to attempt them because the the field goals just enough under 100% to make that a, a good bet in the long run. But as you said, it's situational. You know, you you have to would it, you have would to it's be late the game and you're up by two. Effort, you know, you're up making it worse for yourself. Yeah, when, when it's late the game and you're up by two, kick the damn extra point. I mean, the guys, I know they moved it back a little. And, and the thing that really bothers me about this is okay, the reason he's doing all that this year is not because he's got so much faith in his two-point conversions. It's because they moved the extra point back 10 yards or 15, whatever it was. The kickers are still making 95 or 96% yeah. down from 99%. You know, so it's still pretty much a gimme. And when last week, when you're up by two late in the game, you have a chance to go up three, which guarantees the only way you can lose the game is to give up a touchdown. And you just put in a backup third-string quarterback who hardly practiced all week, and you're going to put the ball in his hands and have him throw it. It was a horrible decision. And, you know, yeah, although, didn't although cost I will him. say that the one thing, one thing that Landry Jones got reps at, the whole preseason and the, you know, camp and so on and so forth, was, was the two-point drill because he, he did – he probably had as many snaps doing as Ben did. Uh, so I, I felt like at least he wasn't – like you're asking him to execute something that he hasn't tried to do at all. But, yeah, I'm with you. I didn't – at the time – I didn't like the call to do it. Um, I, you know, I guess I can understand the mentality well, that you think the way your offense has been performing that you may not, you know, you're you're two yards away from getting two points, and you may not get a chance to get any more points in the game uh, because you know because of the way the offense has played the previous eight quarters, that wasn't that much of a stretch, was it? Well, I mean, the upside of that is. That's what you have to look at. The upside and the downside is the upside is if you make it, you're up four. The other team has to score a touchdown and beat you. However, they do score a touchdown, they do beat you. The downside is they don't need a field goal to beat you if you miss. So to me, you take the guaranteed point, you take the three point lead, and make it so the only way they can beat you uh, is, is is to score a touchdown. You know, not just letting a field goal beat you. Which is you know in the NFL, if you got a minute worth of time and one time out, you can pretty easily manufacture 50 yards and kick a 40 or 50 yard field goal. So uh, just to me, it would, you know, just too much of a risk and not enough reward to go for it there. Yeah. Well, like I said, I can't really argue with you and put my heart into the argument because I, I kind of agree with you. I was just trying to, you know, look at the other side, uh, at least a little bit. But uh, the one thing I didn't like uh, at all about it was the play called because it was kind of a, you know, one option, uh, kind of a choice for the quarterback. In other words, if, if Antonio Brown is not there, he's got nowhere to go. You know, it's, a, it's like a one read, one shot kind of a play, uh, and that that to me is not necessarily the best choice to have. It's not wasn't like something where they got to rub and have a guy who's wide open, and all you got to do is execute a simple pass. It's like you got to throw into a super tight window to to the only guy who could possibly get the ball. You know, it's not always. A, I don't think that's the wisest choice for – it would have been a good spot to whip out your best two-point play of the season if you felt that strongly about going for two there. Uh, but at any rate, uh, I digress. Um, you, just one last question about this game, about last week's game. 
before we before we uh, uh, tool on some other things, just occurred to me that I didn't ask you a question I was thinking of asking, which is, who do you think the best team is aside from New England that the Steelers have played this year, based based on our games with them in particular? Who they've already played? Yeah, in other words, of the of the uh, Steelers are four and two, right? So yeah, I mean, it's got to be Arizona, right? I mean, to me, I think Arizona is the best team out of that group, but I'm not sure that they. I'm not sure that they're really. I don't think this, the Steelers are significantly. I mean, they're not even. What's, what's the right way to say it? The, the Cardinals are one of the best teams that the Steelers have faced to this point, and it's they're not even the squad. Is what is what you're getting at? Yeah, it's just it's kind of like man, there are no dominant teams this year. I mean, it's crazy. You look at. Green Bay and New England, they're built very similarly to Pittsburgh, very similar. They've got elite quarterbacks. They've got good offensive weapons. They've got a couple of good playmakers with some holes on the defense. The secondary for New England is not that good. They've got a, a handful of decent players in the front seven. Green Bay, same sort of thing. You know, Pittsburgh, same sort of thing. Uh, you know, I think the biggest difference right now between those three teams is Pittsburgh's been banged up with them being out, you know, and they had to play at New England the first game of the year in the buzzsaw game where they pretty much had no chance to win, even though they, you know, came out pretty close at the end. Um, but if I, you look at, like, Carolina, you think Carolina or Atlanta is better than Pittsburgh? You know, especially if we're at full strength? Hell no. You know, Denver, I think Denver's got maybe the most dangerous defense in the league, but Peyton Manning's arm is shot. We know what happens soon when it gets to be January. You know, his arm shots now, and it's still October. So this league is very flawed. I mean, it's New England and Green Bay, and I don't think either of them are world beaters. None of them are unbeatable. But, uh, you know, Pittsburgh gets their act together. I think they're right there, you know, third best behind those two teams. Isn't it amazing how quickly things change in the NFL? Like two two years ago, in that down the stretch, it just it just seemed like, Seattle was going to be a dynasty. They only had a bunch of young guys, and they had a great defense and a good enough quarterback, so you made the plays and whatever. And it's, it's amazing how quickly either, you know, they've, they've tired of the coach's message or they had some internal struggles there where they had to ship people out and maybe the quarterback is like, you know, gone a little bit uh, ego. Whatever it is, they, they quickly lost their grip. Green Bay in 2010 – Look like you know they were they were going to be like a, you know for five or six years nobody was going to beat them. They kind of you know despite the fact that they still have that great quarterback and still have a good enough team around them, they're they're not really they're a shadow of the team that they were that they appeared they were going to be in 2010. You know it, it's it's amazing how quickly it changes. The only thing that doesn't change is New England. They are basically the same team with the same issues this year that they've been that they are every year and yet they continue to win. It's crazy. Yeah. They're, once again, they're 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 left. Their starting left tackle is going to be gone for the season or whatever. That's like the third time that's happened to them in five years. It doesn't seem to affect them. It just you know I think we've all watched sports a lot of sports for a long time, and teams always sort of make sense. You get what they are, and, and it, it it makes sense to you. New England is something I've never been able to figure out. The the offensive what the Amendolas and guys like that and picking up. Uh, Dion Lewis, you know, a little tiny running back from Pitt who kind of bounced around the league and was a nobody, and they plug those guys in consistently, and they make plays for them over, and they just – it's like they're mocking the rest of the league, and I don't understand how they do it. It's just they, – are they that much smarter than everybody else? Are they cheating? <laughs> is it a combination? Is it just that Brady is so much better and Belichick's that much smarter than everybody else they go up against? And there's a lot of smart guys in the league and a lot of good quarterbacks. It's hard to – comprehend and, and explain what, how they win the way that they win. It just doesn't make sense. You yeah. look at that Ross, even on their offense, and you see, hey, Gron- Gronkowski and Brady are elite players. The rest of these guys are, they could be average guys in every, any team in the league. There's not another guy that stands out in that offense. How the hell do they lead the league in points? You know, it just it doesn't make sense. <laughs> you, know, it, you, you can't, well, you know. <laughs> What's even more interesting about New England is having seen them a lot recently, uh, in the last couple of years, especially, they they're very reminiscent of the Colts at the peak of Manning's career. There, in that they basically run three plays over and over again. You know, it's like they they run that pick play uh, where the slot receiver either goes in or out, 
And either way, he's wide open for a nice easy throw and a catching run. You know, the quarterback is a quarterback who hits him in stride no matter where he's going, so he's always going to pick up some extra yardage. Plus those guys, Edelman and, and Amendola, are just like punt returners. Once they get the ball, they're, they're always picking up an extra yard or two. And then, you know, when you, when you start trying to figure out why you can't stop that same play over and over again, then they get you in a situation where, where Gronkowski is uh, either completely forgotten or the safeties are off of him or he's uncovered because of, you know, the way they split him out. And, you know, and they, they kill you with that, you know, kill shot. But it's amazing. Like, like Indianapolis back in the day used to have this, you know, same two or three plays that ran over and over and over again. And maybe that's, you know, maybe that's part of the reason for their success is that it's so simple and, it, and, and basically illegal as well but simple that they just get really good at doing it. They get really good at executing it because they don't have 50 to 100 plays for every game that they have in their package that they have to figure out how to, how to play somehow. And, you know, afford, they, they just know they're not going to get themselves into big holes uh, and on offense. They're going to stay ahead of the chains because they have these, you know, there's simple plays that they lean on over and over again. I mean, you know, maybe it only seems simple to me, but I, when I watch them, sure it feels like it's – I don't know. Do you, you see any big variety in what New England does on offense? Because I sure don't. No, and that's the thing. It's You know, they, that's the other frustrating thing about it is they've been beating teams for years with well-timed screen passes, you know. And Brady's not like threading a needle 45 yards downfield. You know, he's doing a lot of dump-offs. It's just they're smarter, you know. And it just – you know, and you go back to Spygate and you, you kind of think – what do these guys know? What have they actually picked up over the years? How are they able to decipher what the other team's doing at the exact right moment? Yeah, or how can they be that much better at film study? How, much, how can they be that much better prepared than the rest of the league? It's, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> you, know? you can go to any yeah. different sport over the last 40 years, and there's nothing that you can compare to what New England's doing right now. It's just you know, with a, you know, one or two elite players, a really good coach, and a bunch of cast-offs that half the league wouldn't even want. Uh, on their team, and, and they consistently don't just win, but they dominate. It doesn't make sense. Well, we have a caller on the line who's waited patiently for a long time. Uh, he is going to tell us uh, the secret to the Patriots' success. His name is Lifelong Steel. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good. Obviously uh, good, yeah. What's the secret to Brady's success? The, the secret to me, I think they've cracked the cracked the code. To, to one really important thing. And I, I think that they've figured out how to convert third and three and third and four. And, and, and they've built a system around it. And so one of my, one of my things whenever I, you know, ever have a complaint about Ben, which is very rare, is that sometimes he'll take a five-yard completion on third and three, a guaranteed one, and he'll turn it down for a, you know, a chance at something 20 yards downfield. And, and I think their team is predicated on, we're to convert third and two, third and three, third and four, and they do it over and over again. And I think that's a key thing. And there's a lot that goes into that from my perspective, you know, and I think that from a coaching perspective, you always think that, you know, with anything, more information is going to sort of broaden the playing field, right? But I think there's so many data points, so many things going out there you can learn from that the ability to process it and use it, right, can put a really good coach to a huge advantage. So that's kind of where I go on. I mean, I'm not buying into the – you know, do your job stuff, that they work harder stuff. I mean, that stuff's all, you know, is what it is. But I think they figured something out, and I think it's, it's you know, but that's what I see on the field when I watch them is that it, almost, it seems like they almost never get stopped on a third and three. Yeah, it's true. They, they keep moving it. I mean, Perch, do, are you a little bit – are you as shocked as I am that the Patriots have not yet become one of those – teams that plays four down football and never punts because to me it's like if they know if they knew they weren't punting what they would call on the first three downs they would never be stopped they you really they would score a touchdown on every possession i mean or at least on 80 percent of them yeah you know i think a lot of these teams with better offenses really ought to look anything less than fourth and say fourth and four or less anywhere beyond their own 40 I think you need to start doing some statistical analysis of go for it or not go for it. I think you've got to be aggressive and go for it more. Uh, yeah, some One of these teams is eventually, the way that Tomlin's being aggressive with the two-point conversions, somebody's going to start doing that on fourth downs. You know, If you're anywhere near midfield, 
and it's less than five yards, you got to go for it almost every time. You know, unless you've already had the game put away and you don't want to give your team good field position. But yeah, it just somebody's going to do it eventually. Right, and it's also if you're yeah, if you have a great offense or you're playing against a great offense, right? It's like kicking the you know giving the Patriots the ball on the twenty or the fifty. I'm not sure there's a significant difference in the number of points they score in those two spots. Yeah, and you put yeah, yourself so. on the other the other side of it when you see the opponent trot out a punter at the midfield on fourth and two, you're always relieved. You're not like, darn it, they're not exactly. going for it. You know, you know, you want to keep putting pressure. That's what the game's all about. Pressure the other guy and, and force them into mistakes. And you know, it, it's just one, something. Somebody's eventually going to have the balls to do it. Well, I actually, you know, having seen the Sunday night game with, uh, you know, with the Colts, it just like the moment the Colts send out their field goal kicker when they have like fourth and goal, you just think, you know, the game is over. They're basically conceding, you know, I don't know, lifelong. You, uh, you must've had some reason for, for calling beyond discussing the stupid Patriots. <laughs> well, I wanted to hear you guys. And I, I got that early breakdown of uh, Pennsylvania high school athletic divisions too, before we got started. That was <laughs> but, uh, if you only know, we I knew the answer think, to why they were doing I, I think that this year, you know, I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit with this with the Steelers team, but I think that a Steelers-Patriots rematch would potentially be one of the most interesting football games I, I can remember because I think if you look at the kind of stone-cold Patriot efficiency with the Steelers combination of the Tomlin gut randomness and his – crazy set of offensive outliers, right? It, it's exactly the kind of team that you really think would be the team to beat New England. And I, I think that matchup would be, obviously I would I'd root for Steelers to go that far, but just taking a step back from it and looking at those two teams matching up again, it, I think it would be a, a, an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable thing to watch. Well, actually, Perch, he raises a good point in that, you know, when you have Ernie Adams on the other side, maybe the thing you want to have is like a madman making decisions on the other side who can't be predicted, right? Yeah, you know, that's kind of what I've, I've kind of said. Uh, right. What the Steelers need to do is find their own Ernie Adams. Yeah, and, and I mean, and the reality is that, I mean, talent can overcome those things, right? There's, you, you can't scheme, you know, Bryant taking a little pass and going 78 yards on you. I mean, that's just, that's, that's one of the things you can't you can't do anything about. I mean, you can, you know. So in areas where we've got a Bell or a Bryant or some of these other guys, hopefully on defense we get some emergence from more of those crazy athlete, you know, type guys. I think, um, you know, that the the mismatch in styles. I mean, if you're trying to do it exactly the way the Patriots do it, you're not going to do it as well, right? You might as well have something else you're doing. So um, yeah, that's well, kind of what I see happening. Also, that first week game, you know, you can say what you want to say about it, but Steelers offense after playing after practicing a whole preseason with Martavis Bryant and Le'Veon Bell, you know, didn't suddenly didn't have him for that game, and it's not like the guys who replaced him were were, were bad or anything, but you can't help but think that that could have been a, a big difference maker in that game by the change. Of course, it things plus a field goal, field goal kicker who might actually make a field goal once in a while. Uh, so yeah, it's a, yeah, that would definitely help. It gets you feel more more hopeful about that rematch than you might have had you just gotten clobbered when you went up there to visit them the first time. Yeah, and speaking uh, of that kicker, I think was that – I actually felt that the Boswell performance was almost as surprising as the Landry Jones performance. I mean, the Landry one is really at a – it's an all-time great, but, I mean, those kicks from Boswell, not only the distance that he made them, but there was – I mean, they were about as straight as you could be, Right. Um, the week prior to the San Diego game, he was kind of inching them in there, right? Even his extra points were sort of uh, sneaking by the uh, the goalpost. Um, and uh, for him to come out and just bang those three 40-plus yarders in uh, in Hines right down the middle was uh, was pretty extraordinary. Yeah, I'm not sure that he knows that he's ever going to miss. Like, you know, I think <laughs> his mindset right now from watching his language last weekend was like, you know, this is easy. Like, why why do people have such trouble with this? Uh, anyway, <laughs> hey, Perch, did you catch the story uh, that that's about Scobie uh, calling out Tiger Woods on Twitter when Tiger Woods is having pro- trouble with the yips? That had to be one of the great comments of all time. You know, I, I briefly 
glazed at something like that. I didn't actually read the whole story, so if you could fill me in on it, that, that sounds like a good one. But I didn't uh, didn't read the whole story. I did kind of catch that there was something going back and forth between those two. I don't know if they were buddies or golf together or what the story was. Lifelong, do you do you know the story? Because if you don't, I'll tell it. But if you do, it's all, you can have No, it. I don't know it. I don't know it, but it sounds great. All right. Well, at any rate, uh, Josh Kobe sent a tweet that said, uh, Tiger, I'll meet you at such and such golf course, $100,000 a hole, $150,000 a hole, and I'll give you two strokes aside. <laughs> and, of course, you know, he, he, he did this at the time when, when uh, Tiger was really – struggling basically you know uh calling him out on the you know in, in public on a public forum in a way that was you know a little bit less than sympathetic one would say and so uh during when, when scoby was missing the kicks in his last game with the steelers uh there was a tweet that the guy that's bob harrick the sports uh, golf writer for espn tweeted do you think tiger woods might be enjoying the football game, <laughs> whatever that was, Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football, uh, Thursday Night Football, yeah. You think, do, you think, you know, do you think Tiger Woods might be enjoying watching this? You know, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, it's a little karma, a little karma that uh, happened to come at our expense, I think, there. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, so at any rate, at least, uh, you know, karma, karma has, our karma has improved, but Perch won't say anything. I can just tell you right now, lifelong, Perch is not going to say anything about the, the the guy who's uh, kicking field goals on the show. Well, I yeah, you know, I I saw I saw a uh, post about him as the AFC, you know, special teams player of the week, and my response was basically like, Shh, let's just uh, not talk about that. <laughs> let's just leave it, yeah. leave it as it is, right? And uh, just just let it keep going. I read a also read a thing today with uh, Florida. The Florida coach is. Uh, is looking for uh, a walk-on kicker, and they had like 250 kids show up for the tryout, I think, something like that. And uh, he said that he did this once before in Colorado State, and the, the kid that won the competition, he said, was named Kicker, because that's what I called him. He never, he never called him anything other than Kicker, never learned his name. So I think maybe that's, that's the thing. Mike, Mike Tomlin maybe just called him Kicker. He doesn't even know what the guy's name is. just like, send out Kicker. That would be uh, that, that would be good, but that guy from San Diego is interesting. Um, I can't remember his last name now. It's Lam Lambo or or whatever the yeah uh, he was yeah he was, uh, yeah, he was an M- MLS um, goalie, and uh, I don't think he's ever kicked prior to kicking in the NFL. So that was an interesting uh, interesting thing going on there. So there's probably more of those guys out there, but. Uh, but yeah, it was surprising. It was uh, it was obviously a relief. I think those might have been the, some of the 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 biggest cheers I've ever heard at uh, at Heinz Field, right? When he was when he was booting those through, I think the the relief and just the uh, the joy there was uh, was was pretty crazy for for a field goal. Well, I'm hoping kicker continues to do well. Uh, anyway, lifelong. You got any thoughts about this week's Steelers matchup while you're on the line? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually I'm feeling pretty good about about it this week. Um, I think where we're vulnerable on the defensive side, um, you know, on the deep passes, and our corners just seem to be able to run with people, but not get their head turned around. So we're either getting beat or getting penalties. I think that's really the one place that Kansas City has almost no chance of beating you. Um, so I feel good from that from that standpoint. Um, and literally, I think if I mean if Jones just if his job is just to, you know, find Bryant, Bell, and Brown and, you know, simple plays and so forth, I think those guys have enough explosiveness to make something happen. So I feel pretty good. I mean, I'd love to have Ben out there, but, you know, I, I, I have nightmares from another Ben game against Kansas City um, from the past, even though I shouldn't be living in my fears. Um, so, you know, unless Ben's 100%, I'd be happy to roll with, uh, with Landry, and I think we, um, I think we win it. I think we can. Uh, I think we. You know, we're not going to blow them out, but I think we should. We should control the game. I mean, Ben played the entire Super Bowl season, where we won the Super Bowl, and he wasn't 100 percent for the entire season. I mean, that's why I say it's like you. Any any hit of any game could knock your quarterback out for the season. 
Like it's, I just don't, I mean, I do, in a sense, I do agree with the idea of not living in your fears about injuries because man, there's like, there's so little that you can do to, to prevent them. And even in whether, whether or not you're moving great or not, like Ben was, you know, just as mobile as ever when he got the injury he sustained here. I'm not sure that being less mobile, if anything, it might, it might make him more inclined to get rid of the football and not take hits which would be just fine against a team like Kansas City where he shouldn't have to be, you know, drawing so deeply from the well to beat them. Um, so, I don't know, that's why I say – that's why I'm kind of leaning the other way. I think to myself, you know, as long as he's not injuring himself from actually just playing, it's not making his injury worse, which from all accounts it isn't. If anything, he might end up being a little bit more uh, uh, protective of himself than, than he is generally, which – you know, for this week would be just just fine by me. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm uh, I'm not as worried about the injury and the possibility of being re-injured as I should be. But I yeah, and, and I guess me. maybe what, um, what I what, what's hard to know is whether he has an increased chance of of hurting it by playing by playing this week, right? Like if it's in such a uh, a situation that you know a hit that normally wouldn't hurt him hurts him because he's because of where he is. I mean, if it's a pain thing, obviously roll him out there. I mean, we know Ben can, can take the pain, and it's not our pain to feel anyway. But uh, yeah, the other thing I like to do is set expectations. If I get in my head that it's going to be Landry and Ben rolls out there, I'm going to be uh, a happy guy. So just trying to set my own expectations. Yeah, I hear that. Hey, Perch, you know, you, you Lifelong was talking about the weapons that Kansas City doesn't have to match up against the Steelers' weaknesses. But one of the weaknesses would have to be covering the tight end. Uh, and and uh, what they've done so far this season, not super promising. I feel like this would be a game where the Steelers could dominate scoreboard, but Travis Kelsey could have like about a zillion yards in, in receptions. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Alex Smith throwing the ball. <laughs> that's you know that's what it comes back to, and I don't think Kelsey's you know it's not like he's a deep threat receiver who's gonna you know, burn the team down the field. Yeah, he's probably going to eat up the middle of the field for some yards here and there, but uh, he's literally the only guy you have to worry about this week. you got to think that the Steelers are going to do a number, and Shazier's coming back, and, you know, have him jamming with the line and have a safety pick him up over the top, and they've got a number of, uh, of things that they can do to slow him down. There's just nobody else on the Chiefs roster that worth worrying about now. You know, it's, you know, I'm assuming Macklin's out, you know, but uh, if Macklin's out, that, that offense is probably the worst we've faced so far this year. Yeah, it just concerns me. Uh, you know, the way you're talking about this game, this just – doesn't this just – am I the only one that sounds like a giant trap game? You know, you have the game against Cincinnati next week, and you just, you know, survived a stretch with your backup uh, quarterbacks, and you feel like, you know, you, you have all your bell and – Bryant back, and uh, you know Kansas City's all beat up, one and four, or one and one and five, whatever the hell they are. Are just it just strikes me as uh, you know the kind of situation that could go sour. And, it's, and for the Steelers in the recent past, it, you know these are the kinds of games that have gone sour for them. Uh, you know what's different this time? Would you say? I'll throw that to you, Perch. Yeah. I think it's, you know, the Chiefs have played tough. I mean, they almost beat Denver earlier in the year, and they, they beat Houston. And then in the last five weeks, they played Green Bay and, and Cincinnati, who are, you know, teams that are undefeated right now. And then they lost the two bad teams in Chicago and Minnesota. It's just, you know, to me, it, it's going to come down to who actually starts your quarterback for the, for the Steelers. And it, it does I mean, to me, Macklin's a big factor in it, too. And those two things, if Ben plays, you know, I think. They have no problem in the game. If Landry Jones plays, it's a toss-up. It's a coin flip. You know, it's two teams with shaky quarterbacks and, you know, missing offensive weapons and decent defenses. And, you know, it's a it's a home game for Kansas City with a big crowd. And who knows what can happen? You know, it, it's one of those games that can easily go either way. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, to me, if Ben plays a serious win, if, if he doesn't, like, I can definitely see him being upset. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Lifelong, you got a score prediction? Oh, we might have lost him. He might be gone. Um, well, Perch, uh, we'll we'll uh, come back to our score predictions for the game. But before we do, um, let's take a minute and go to our illustrious 
uh, now as it's now called, the illustrious around the league college football and pick segments, whatever the hell it is from week to week, brought to us by, uh, let's see what our list is, Roger the Clown, uh, Dean Blandino, uh, Jerry Jones might be in there somewhere. Um, I'd like to send a shout out to John Harbaugh, who's uh, a, a genius mastermind coach, a superior to Mike Tomlin in every way, and he's about to have his first losing season, which uh, is, you know, you can't help but uh, appreciate that if you're a Steelers fan, even though that team beat us. What are you going to do? I think we're going to go other years in a row where we lost to the worst team in football, or three years in a row, maybe? We already did. We lost to Baltimore, right? Yeah, but lost to Baltimore, lost to uh, Tampa Bay last Tampa. year, yep. and I, and the year before that, uh, maybe Oakland was in that conversation. There's been a ten, yeah, and an yeah. Oakland, a Tennessee, ah. and Jacksonville yeah. last handful of years. Then, uh, Virgil, and the Jets with Michael Vick. We lost to Michael Vick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> not only that, we lost to Michael Vick's arm, not his leg. It was his arm to beat us. <laughs> yeah, true enough. That, uh, that's how just how bad our safety play was last year. Um, you got the games? Are there any games on the schedule that stand out to you this this uh, this weekend, Perch? Uh, let me see here. Saints Colts. Actually, wait, before we even talk about the NFL games to pick. Um, yeah, this, 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 you know, like you said, because of that same thing we talked about before, because it's, it's, it's sort of a hollow league where nobody is really all that great, also the quality of matchups are, are not as exciting where you see, you know, a couple of teams that are really playing well with really good quarterbacks and they're going to play this weekend. Wow, that should be fun, you know. But there's not, there's not so many of those. Um, the, uh, I was going to say, though, before you get to that, it, it occurs to me that maybe I should ask you this question, which is, uh, going to college football for a second, you know, so many, it just seems like a lot of undefeated teams that are actually legitimate for, for this time of year. It's, it's a little bit nuts, isn't it? Oh, I think college this year is wide open. It's like the NFL. I don't think any of those teams are elite. You know, maybe if Ohio State, you know, Ohio State's finally switching their quarterback away from Cardell Jones. Maybe they start blowing teams out again, but every game they've been, it's been close until the third or fourth quarter. Um, just you know, the SEC's got four or five really good teams, no great teams. Pac-10, same thing. They've got two or three pretty good teams, nobody great. You know, you've got uh, Michigan State and Ohio State in the, in the Big Ten, and it's there's just so much parity. You know, there's nobody that's really, really jumping out as being possibly dominant outside of Ohio State. So it's going to be it's going to be fun, especially you get four teams in a playoff at the end of the year. You know, any of those four teams will be able to win. Possibly Toledo. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe not Toledo, but they, they are they are undefeated. Um, the uh, what is the name of the conference that has uh, Houston and uh, the, the All American Conference uh, or something like that? All, or con- yeah, yeah. The Conference America, whatever it is. All American, I think. It is. Yeah, maybe that's. Um, they have three undefeated teams ranked in the top 10, 25. That is. And, you know, who have legitimate wins. You know, like they're at least as good on paper as, say, Boise State has been the last few years. That's kind of, uh, you know, to me that that definitely does lend an argument towards parity when you have these mid-majors with victories over major conference teams and they're undefeated this part of the season. Kind of, that's fun for them. I mean, I know that it amounts to much for the overall national championship picture, but even, even the SEC and B12, and uh, you know, and and yeah. Big Ten have these undefeated, undefeated teams, multiple undefeated teams that are going to sort of sort themselves out. But yeah, kind of fun. Yeah, I, guess, gonna, uh, yeah. I actually Baylor and TCU. I forgot about those sort of teams, and you know, Michigan State and then uh, say those teams are going to start knocking each other off pretty soon. Yeah, uh, Iowa's still undefeated, right? Um, I think so. Yeah. Okay. At any rate, yeah. I I have uh, you know if you follow the show you know that I haven't I don't get to see that much college football generally work a lot uh, this time of year on the weekends whatever but and just you know have only so much time 
to deal with it. But I've seen maybe more college football this year than I have in uh, a few years. And it's been interesting. It's been a good year for that. Uh, at any rate, as far as our, our NFL dreams are concerned, um, I suppose we can go give a round of talking about the Steelers and, uh, and uh, Kansas City Chiefs this week, or the team formerly uh, known as the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, if, if the players who are threatening to be missed in this game are actually missed, it's going to be, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just, like I said, this is just shaping up to me like the San Diego game where they they had to sign offensive linemen off the street and, you know, I don't know. We've, we've denigrated Alex Smith, and I'll throw it to you now for your prediction of what's going to happen. But before you tell us what's going to happen, I just want to warn you that you want to say disparaging things about Alex Smith, but is he any worse than Mike Glennon or, you know, Chris Gratkowski or uh, – Ty- Terrell Pryor, like, you know, the guys, some of the guys that have beat the Steelers in recent years, Alex Smith is better than, I think, all of those guys, maybe. I don't know. What do you think is going to happen this season? To an extent. I mean, boy, it's, it's, it's tough to predict what's going to happen when you don't know who the starting quarterback is. <laughs> uh, and with Landry but Jones. Either team, yeah, I mean. Even if we know it's Landry Jones, you don't know which Landry Jones. Well, okay. Preseason Landry Jones or last week Landry Jones, but, uh, I don't know. To me, it's going to be a close game. Even you know, even if Ben plays, it's just Kansas City's got enough talent up and down their roster that they can hang with pretty much anybody. And it's a road game, and you know the Steelers never seem to want to blow anybody out, especially on the road. So, I think it's going to be a close game. It's going to come down to turnovers and who takes care of the ball better. You know, which team can get that, force that turnover, get the big sack or the interception, and that team's going to win. If Ben plays, I think the Steelers win by a touchdown. If he doesn't play, I think it's a field goal game, 23-20, and whatever team protects the ball better wins. Uh, going out on a limb, I will guess. Oh, I'll say Steelers win 23-20. Well, I, uh, the last two weeks done pretty well with the predictions. Actually, the last three weeks been pretty close. Uh, I... I've been generally just letting a number pop into my head that it feels like the right feel for the game. So before I got to talking with you for an hour, just to tell you the state of things, before I got to talking to you for an hour, uh, I was thinking Ben is going to play this game with all his weapons against a depleted team, and they're, you know, he's going to get rid of the football quickly, and it's going to be sort of an assault, uh, you know, with. Le- Le'Veon Bell having more room than he's had to run for three or four weeks. Antonio Brown finally getting the, the ball that he's uh, happy to see. And Ben finally having Mark Davis Bryant on the field. Blah, blah, blah. It just felt like uh, it conceivably could be a blowout game for the Steelers. The first score that I thought of her unrealistically was 38 to 15, um, like a big time blowout. But then I thought, they don't do this on the road. And uh, they have a way of playing down this kind of opponent, especially on the road, and especially Kansas City, which just seems to be a team that the Steelers traditionally don't have that much luck with, have one sort of blowout game of Kansas City at home, but otherwise they've played either games where they look terrible or games where they eked out a win. And uh, and now there's a possibility that Andrew Jones can play this game. So I don't, I don't know what to make of it. I, I think I'll give you two predictions. One is if Ben plays and one if Landry plays. If Ben plays, I think they're going to be terrific in this game, and they're going to put up 30 points against Kansas City the way that – because not so necessarily because Kansas City's defense is so bad, but because the Steelers' offensive weapons are finally going to be together on the field good, and Kansas City's offense is going to be able to do so little in the game that there will be some more opportunities for the Steelers in good field position, I think. So I'll say if Ben plays – it's a 33 to 16. Maybe you know I'll, I'll use that as my pick, but the, the the Chiefs might get a few more points. But I think 33-16 is a realistic Steelers score with Ben. Without Ben, I tend to agree with you. I think it's probably a much closer game. Uh, you know, there might even be a turnover or two. Unfortunately, that'll give the Chiefs some life. I could see the game being about. 23-17 Steelers uh, with Landry Jones. I, I still think the Steelers are going to win this game. I 
I'm not sure, other than Cincinnati, the Steelers are going to play in the game the rest of this year once Ben is back where they will not be the favorite in the game or that we will not, even if they're not the favorite, that we won't expect them to win. This is the last time I expect Perch to pick against them for some time. At Seattle, <laughs> is probably they're going to be at least an underdog. Um, you know, but it's a winnable game. I don't know. Not if, not, not if Seattle continues to implode the way that they are, but it's possible. At any rate, uh, I guess it's time for final for final thoughts. It's just us, Birch, so have at it. Oh, hell. I've talked enough for the last hour. Um, yeah, get Ben <laughs> back. You just That's talk after an hour, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. To me, Sorry, it's just, uh, I didn't hear you. Get Ben back healthy. I mean, uh, to me, that's when the season starts. When Ben's healthy and Bell's not suspended, and Brian's not suspended, and those three are out there on the field, that's when the season officially starts. You know, even if that's week seven or eight or whenever it ends up being, to me, that's when we see what this 2015 Steelers team really is. And uh, I'd love to, I'd love for it to be this weekend. If not, uh, hopefully it's next weekend against Cincinnati. Well, we didn't mention this guy's name, but now that you've mentioned getting the band back together. Uh, you know, Ali Villanueva, to me, uh, he, he, in the same, much in the same way that Landry Jones came in without too much of a chance to think about it, uh, he came into the game and I thought acquitted himself extremely well at the left tackle position for somebody that had basically a year ago couldn't even dream of being a left tackle in the NFL. Um, he looked terrific. Little bit of an upgrade difference from from last week against Arizona, to and uh, you know the talent that Kansas City has, but I kind of feel like you know once the Cats are back together uh, at the scale positions for the Steelers, that the offensive line, if they if they play the way they did last week, are good enough to, for this to be uh, the kind of offense that goes you know down in our at our our personal history books for the Steelers in terms of what we remember uh, of the good times. And you know, it doesn't mean they're going to do it in every game. It doesn't mean they're going to win every game. But I think it's a pretty exciting era to be a Steelers fan. It feels like for the first time in a while that the team kind of has it. Not, It's not just that they're winning, and it's not just that they have some great players or have a great quarterback. It's, it's, they, just, they just feel like they have that, that uh, tightness amongst the team that they haven't had for a long time now, you know, going going on, uh, you know, five to ten years, kind of kind of a time frame where they they seem to have leaders in the clubhouse that would make Iron City proud, and they seem to have a camaraderie and they're like they're buying into whatever the coach is selling, and you know the quarterback is is uh, leading the troops like you know you'd always hope that he would be able to do. It kind of feels like this, you know, they have something special, so. Hope they still make me feel that way after this game in Kansas City, Birch. Uh, we missed FC this week. Uh, I, I apologize to those of you like me who enjoy uh, hearing the curmudgeon. Uh, but at any rate, Perch, we had us, and uh, you carried you carried the flag as as did Lifelong Steel as our our caller of the week. And uh, on behalf of uh, Perch and Lifelong Steel and uh, Steel Fury, the rest of the cats at SteelFury.com. I am Brad Shaw the Bent, and this is the Steeler Fury Podcast, and go get them, Steelers. Ciao.